You're listening to the Jets Nation Podcast. I'm Cody Bueller, joined by my brother Kyle. Today on the show, we are going to be taking a look at the last few games for the Winnipeg Jets since the start of the regular season. We're going to look at different line combinations, and we're going to wrap up the show taking a look at what to do with the extra skater now that Patan is back. All right, so starting up segment number one, uh, Kyle, uh, the Jets have now played three games since the start of the season. Uh, we haven't podcasted since they've played actual meaningful hockey. So first impressions, two games on the road, one at home last night. Your thoughts? Well, a little bit up and down, but coming out of the first three games, two and one, I think nobody would really argue that that's a bad start. Um, especially with the two-game road trip uh, against Central Division teams. You want to get off to kind of a good start. And now with a one game at home, uh, two and one's a pretty good record through the first three. Yeah, no, you really can't complain with that. Uh, you look at kind of the scores and maybe you get concerned, 5-1 and then losing 5-1. Uh, but I think let's kind of just go through those games. Your first impressions uh, in the St. Louis game. Well, the score is very misleading in that St. Louis game. The Jets did not really outplay the Blues much. Uh, For much of the game, actually, it was the Blues outplaying the Jets. Connor Hellebuck stood tall, had a fantastic game, uh, but the Blues also just missed the net on a lot of shots. Uh, They definitely should have had more than a goal. Uh, That goal coming in essentially garbage time at that point, uh, late in the third period. Uh, But the Jets were up 1-0 through a couple periods, kind of really took it home in the third uh, scored a couple goals, uh, a couple lucky ones, you could say. Um, Adam Lowry kind of coming on a breakaway because the St. Louis defenseman falls down or diving to keep the puck in um, very nearly a goal on Hellebuck, and then Lowry goes down and scores the other way. So uh, that that was definitely a game of inches. It could have went either way, but the Jets came out on top in a rather lopsided victory that shouldn't have been. Yeah, and I really I think that Hellebuck stepping up, kind of balancing out the rest of his team from starting flat, I think it's just one of those things, though, you're Sometimes your goalie can pick you up, and some games the offense needs to pick up the goalie who's let in a couple. And so that night it was just the goaltender keeping his team in it, and then they added on a few in the third. And then the Dallas game, I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of the game, but it seemed like it was just one of those games where it's some penalty trouble really causing problems for the Jets, the power play and the team, and just Dallas's offense looking pretty good. Yeah, I believe Dallas went 3-for-5 on the power play in that game. Uh, so you're really hurting yourself taking those penalties. That's 60% on the power play. Uh, giving up three power play goals in any game is a recipe for disaster, and that's exactly what it was for the Jets. Uh, they, they looked slow from the start, and Maurice's comments after the game is that uh, those stick penalties, the the slashing, the tripping, those types of things, they come when you're a little bit behind the play, and that's what the Winnipeg Jets were against the Dallas Stars. They were one step slow, they couldn't get to the pucks, and because of that, they were taking those penalties and then from there, it was poor coverage on the penalty kill, allowing a couple backdoor passes. Um, they are allowing a lot of passes through the middle. middle. Hellebuck had to go all around his crease, moving back and forth way more than he normally does. And it really um, was tough on the Jets, um, specifically on Hellebuck, trying to race around his crease, stopping all these crossing passes. And so then last night was the first game at home for the Winnipeg Jets. And I actually got to be a part of this. And this is my first home opener since the Jets have been back. Uh, I've been a part of uh, some early season wins. I've seen some mid-season games that don't really mean a lot. Uh, but now here's my first chance getting to see all the players come out and salute the crowd. And it's funny. I don't know if you saw it on TV, Kyle, but Christian Veselainen, when he came out, all the players were kind of just going around in numerical order around the circle. Veselainen just comes straight in and kind of jumps in beside Bufflin. And uh, somebody kind of looked at him and was like, hey, you're, you're in the wrong spot. And then he kind of moves around and then he kind of just goes and then Bufflin just grabs him and just kind of like pulls him in. Did you see that? 
Uh, I actually missed that, but uh, yeah, it looked kind of funny as a rookie, your, your first ever experience and uh, maybe messing it up a little bit. Yeah, it's one thing when you skate out there and warm up by yourself. That's kind of the usual. Here's just the rookie not knowing where to go, and, and that's going to happen. Um, in regards to that as well, though, my favorite part, uh, you might have saw it on Jets Nation Twitter the other day. If you haven't, go check it out. Uh, it's a hilarious gif of Paul Maurice. Um, when they're announcing his name, the crowd gives a loud cheer and Paul Maurice just kind of makes his classic one of Maurice's faces and just kind of like nods and kind of smirks to the crowd uh, after he's getting a big ovation when they announce his name. Just a hilarious moment uh, from a guy who has that dry sense of humor in those interviews. Kind of a funny moment from him. Uh, so check it out on Jets Nation. It's a little funny moment there. Yeah, I saw the smirk on the Jumbotron. I like that little, the kind of the... I know you're cheering for me. I don't really want to acknowledge it, but I'll give you a little smirk. Just give you a little something, something. <laughs> I don't know. I like it. So so then the game, though, I think for the Jets, would you say is probably their best game they've played yet? It looked like that from a fan's point of view in the building. Just watching the momentum that they had, they were all over the LA Kings. After that first Kings goal, it was all Jets the rest of the way. Yeah, exactly. They got off to a rather poor start. Yes, they were out shooting LA from the from the get go, but they allowed that first goal in the first. And that period. was a good goal. Well, the pass across, the like pass you can't blame nice. you can't blame Hellebuck on that one. No defense, and, yeah, maybe. Yes, you can't blame and, Hellebuck. And that's exactly Tyler Myers getting lost, and, yes. and Ilya Kovalchuk just came in behind with, with nobody grabbing him there. Uh, definitely a, a Myers situation there. Um, no faults on Hellebuck at all. Um, rather fitting is Ilya Kovalchuk's first goal back. Um, they're talking a bunch on TV about all the records he still ho- holds for the franchise, uh, such as goals and points and all these different records, hat tricks, um, goals in a season. There's so many records Kovalchuk still holds from this franchise. Uh, and, and seeing him score his first goal in over uh, five years back in the NHL, it's rather fitting he does it against his old old franchise. Just kind of an interesting stat, cross sports and uh, playing your old franchises. I heard a stat the other day, Brett Favre, is the only quarterback to beat every single NFL team. Think about that one for a second. And I think it was either his last win or the last win he needed in order to accomplish it was against the Green Bay Packers. And so there you go. There you go. Just kind of an interesting, kind of weird little stat about playing former teams. Ilya Kovalchuk. It was kind of weird in the building. I was hoping that there was going to be some kind of like thrashers chant at Kovalchuk, or there's going to be something at Doughty. It was kind of tame as far as that goes, uh, but the building was uh, pretty excited, and especially during the intros, uh, fans were pretty pumped for that. So that's a quick wrap on the first three games of the season. So now here in segment number two that we've kind of broken down each of the games. Game one, Hellbuck playing well. Game two, Jets giving too much, too many, giving up too many penalties. Game three, everybody looking a lot better, even though they weren't able to score good shot totals and getting the win over the LA Kings. So now into now that we've kind of looked at the summaries for each game, let's kind of look at roster moves and the way the players have been utilized. Uh, Kulikov not in the lineup, so Moro gets some time on defense, so that changes things up on the back end. And then we also see up front uh, the same scratches for each of the games uh, with Dano and Lemieux in the press box. Uh, and so now with the guys up front, though, we've seen probably the most movement. 
Yeah, so there's been no changes actually to guys coming in and out of the lineup. Uh, Hellebuck playing all three games as well. Uh, so no changes, but there has been a few lineup changes within the games. And it happened during that second game. Uh, Matthew Perot, who was playing with Little and Line, a, got switched with Nikolai Ehlers. So the second line became Ehlers, Little, Line, a, similar to what we saw a lot of last year. And then the third line was Perot, Roslovic, and Veselainen. Uh, which is kind of a new look line, and it left the f- the first line and the fourth line intact. I'm using Lowry as the fourth line. Most people classify him as the third line now, um, but those lines staying intact for all three games, while the other two are kind of shuffling. But I would actually almost call the Lowry line the second line based on usage last night. And but when the season started, we even talked about it in the off season. I was really excited to see Roslovic with Veselainen and Perot. I was super. No, the Perot little. Line A line, I was excited for. And I was excited to see Ehlers with Roslovic and Veselainen. And I was like, these guys are going to have some speed. We're going to see some chemistry. This is going to be great. They kind of underwhelmed. They, I, I saw a few flashes from Roslovic. But in games one and two, they didn't really stand out. Neither, nor did the Line A line really either for that matter. Or at least in my mind. No, I totally agree. And the the specifically the first game, one of the issues was Ehlers had less than 11 minutes of ice time. And Ehlers being one of your your premier goal scorers, I, I believe third on the team last year, just behind Kyle Connor. Uh, but if he's going to be one of your top goal scorers year in, year out, which he can be, he needs more than 10 minutes, I think 10 minutes and 31 seconds of ice time. Yeah, he needs at least north of 15, closer to 18, 20. Exactly. But one of the struggles is if you have that Lowry playing while well, second line minutes, like you're saying, if they're the main shutdown role playing 19, 20 minutes, you have the Shifley line playing around the 20 minute mark. If you have um, the Lowry line playing around the 20 minute mark, now that's already 40 minutes taken up between two lines. How do you divide up the rest of the game? There's not much room for everybody else. No, and so when they broke up, when they moved the lines around, Veselainen, I was looking at the ice time for last night, Veselainen was hardly on the ice. I saw him just a couple of shifts. He had less than five minutes of ice time in the game last night. And really that whole line, Veselainen, Roslovic, and playing on the wing... Help with, me out. With Perot. With Perot. Yeah, so those three guys saw very little ice time. I think Rozovic did see a little bit of special teams on that second unit. And I think Perot uh, just got a couple more other opportunities. But Veselainen didn't play a lot. The little Ehlers and the line A line didn't even play that much. You hardly saw them on the ice. It was a heavy dose of the Shifley line, a very heavy dose of the Lowry line. And then you didn't see the, the other two as much. But then line A getting out on the power play, Ehlers coming out on the second power play unit as well. And so those guys did get ice time. But just, it was kind of interesting the way it was deployed. Yeah, exactly. And kind of the reasoning why here, especially a game like yesterday, uh, if if you're running primarily the Shifley line and the Lowry line, kind of back and forth with the little line, so you run those three lines, as soon as you get a power play opportunity, well, you know the first power play unit's coming out, right? And, and if they're on the ice for about a minute and a half... It, maybe the second unit gets a little bit of time. That's where Perot, Rozovic are getting that little bit of time on that second power play unit. But as soon as the power play is over, the Jets go right back to the Lowry line because those guys don't get any power play time. Cop doesn't play, Tanev doesn't play, Lowry doesn't play any power play time at all. So as soon as the power play is over, Maurice goes right back to that line and Veselainen just keeps sitting there. So now you you run Lowry's line, you go back to Shifey, you go back to Little. If you get another power play later in the period, well, same thing happens. Veselainen just sits there. So that's where you have that issue with uh, Perot, Roslevic, Veselainen. They're hardly touching the ice because if you get a power play, they touch it for a couple seconds 
But that's it. And, you know, that's just the natural beast of a fourth line. Yeah, you can roll four lines, but special teams is always going to change that. And that's and that's just the way games are run. You want your top line getting the most minutes, and then it's kind of a balancing act after that. Yeah, you'd like probably the fourth line to creep upwards of 10 minutes a player. Probably. That's kind of where you'd want it if you want a really good balance of four lines. Uh, and so, so for the Jets... I don't know what they need to do differently. How would you like to see the lineups optimized up front? Well, I honestly think, I don't care. I think it's going to be a game-to-game basis. I don't think you can put a a blanket statement that these guys are going to have so many minutes each game because I look at a game uh, like the game in Dallas and the Lowry line looked bad, flat out. They were not good. Even the first game against St. Louis, the Lowry line had a tough time keeping the top lines of St. Louis in check. And they're losing that battle continually. If that is a factor on any any given night, the Lowry line might only play 15 minutes, 14 minutes, if that happens. And if that's the case, maybe little line A Ehlers is looking really well. And I know they did look quite quite good against LA yesterday as a trio. A lot of people talking about how they don't fit together well. I thought they looked quite good together, uh, those three. If they're playing really well, maybe they get 20 minutes a night. I think it's such a fluid situation. You have to take it a game-to-game basis. You can't, maybe some other teams can, you can say each line's going to get their ice time and you can kind of look at it like this is what's going to happen every game with with the Jets and having so many threats that can be really good on any given night. I think it's going to have to be a game-by-game where one game either plays 10 minutes, maybe the next game he plays 20, and it's going to be like that continually. I think you want some consistency, though, for line mates, and I think they're going to want to find some kind of consistency where they can get regular players playing together. But I do agree, which lines and how much ice time each one gets based on matchup, based on playing style, who you're playing, etc., etc. Yes, I think the minutes may vary. But as far as line combinations, though, I do think they need to find something that fits. And so now we're going to get into segment number two. What do you do with Vessel Line? And do you keep him in the lineup plus the other guys right now in the press box all right so now for the final segment uh Veselainen, i think he was one of those players who had very little ice time he's just kind of been okay he i've heard some people talking online maybe he should be getting time now on the manitoba moose what are your thoughts on Veselainen? where should he be and then dano and lemieux they were obviously there waving to the crowd last night on the bench in their suits Nick Patan is now back, and so let's just put all these guys here into this next segment. What do you want to see happen here now moving forward? Yeah, so there's a couple options. Now that Patan is uh, reportedly back in Winnipeg, he is skating on his own, not actually with the team, uh, probably because he can't actually be with the team because the Jets would be over the roster limit. So they have to come up with some sort of solution before Patan can actually join them for a practice. Uh, So this is all kind of coming to a head maybe sooner than people uh, potentially thought, but it could be as soon as today, tomorrow, the next day that a, a decision has to be By made. By the time you listen to this podcast. Yeah, it might be done already, but regardless, uh, Veselainen is kind of the key piece here because he's already been in the lineup. Should he stay in the lineup? Well, uh, it, it seems... He's that- played three games. That means he's got six left if we want to keep his contract moving forward and let it slide a year. It, it seems that Paul Maurice has um, almost opted for Veselainen um to give him a chance almost for the whole season. Uh, some of the interviews he's done, some of the stuff he's said with Veselainen says he picks up things extremely quick. When you tell him to do something, he does it instantly. Uh, the super fast learner type player that uh, it, it seems like a guy that might be able to um, evolve as the season goes. Not one of those guys that gets so much better in an off season, but a guy that gets better during the season. I think that's maybe the case for Veselainen. So you could argue that he's better left with the Jets 
to, to flourish there. And see, that's one of those things that is totally up to the coach and it's up to the scouting staff to know how these players work. What is going to suit the player the most? We as fans can think we know. We might think, oh yeah, playing for the Moose, that's clearly the best option. He hasn't looked good, let's just send him down to the Moose. We don't know that. Maybe you're right. Maybe that's what Mar- maybe Maurice, like you said, thinks that's the best option to keep him with the Jets teaching him and having him just kind of learn on the job. Maybe that's the best way for him to learn in the NHL with the elite competition. I'm not so sure. I don't mind if we send him down to the Moose. I don't want him to go back to Finland. That's the biggest concern for me, though, this year. If you send him down to the Moose, they can recall him back to the NHL, correct? Yeah. There's no reason why they can't. No reason why they can't. So as far as I'm concerned... I would have no problem sending Veselainen back to the Moose to get more minutes. Because right now, he's not getting a lot of ice time. I would prefer him to have more minutes on the Manitoba Moose, get a little bit of confidence, whatever, get some more playing time, and just kind of help the Jets kind of sort out this situation right now. Injuries, whatever comes down the road. Yeah, let's bring Veselainen back. Right now, I don't know. Your thoughts? Well, I'm kind of thinking here now, what would be the best situation um, the interesting thing, I'm talking specifically about Veselainen. Because somebody's got to be sent down. I'm talking specifically about Veselainen's contract here. Some guys you want to burn a year of their contract. Some guys you don't want to burn a year of their contract. It, depending on the situation, that's the whole thing with Line A. Do you want to sign him to a new deal now? Do you want to wait till next offseason to sign him to a new deal? That's Mitch Marner's situation. That's Austin Matthews' situation. That's all these young players' situation. Is it better to sign them now or wait? If we burn a year of Veselina's contract and then send him down, which is a possibility, he's only got two years left. If he doesn't impress as much in those two years, is his next contract going to be worth way less? What I'm saying is if you slide his contract, send him down to the Moose, next season he plays for the Jets. He plays for full three seasons with the Jets because of the entry-level slide. He now has three full seasons under his belt. His contract's probably going to be worth more. Does that factor in as a decision here? Would you so rather? You're actually on the on the line of you're wanting to burn a year. Let's burn a year. He only has a two year sample size. Much easier to argue a two year sample size, especially next year if he's not getting tons of ice time again. You mean trying to get him cheap? To try to get him to a cheap next deal if he's going to be an integral piece going forward. I don't know if I like that. I think you want him on a cheap contract as long as possible. So, because right now in your theory, he has these next three. My theory will help us out from years three till 10. The other theory will help us out in year three, essentially. Yes. Yeah. So my mind from four through 10 will help. Yeah. But year three will be worse. And if you let his entry-level deal slide, years three is a little bit better, but maybe worse four through ten. Right, yeah. So I get get what you're saying. Um, Yeah, it does come down to crunching numbers, but the biggest thing is you don't know what the future holds for a player. You don't know if he's going to rock it out of the gate and have 40 goals next season. And just be rookie of the year, right? And and, and And then it's just like the whole thing is out the window. And then that was my wondering. Would it actually help? It's just interesting that maybe sometimes burning a year will help a team. I don't think a, you play him like I don't think you play him 10 games and send him down. I think if you're going to be burning a year, you got to play at least 40 games. Oh, probably. In my opinion. So now what do you do? And that's kind of the question we posed that's, here. That was my initial question, yeah. What do you do? Is it Veselainen? Is it Patan? Or is it Lemieux going down? Dano's essentially safe. He's played six AHL games in the last five years. He's not going to play anymore. He's 
essentially a press box guy. It's really a tough spot because guys the last few years have been getting called up ahead of him and he just stays in the press box. Like, that blows. Like, yes, you're in the NHL. You're not driving buses, riding on buses in the AHL. But let's be honest here. You're not playing in the NHL. You're riding around. You're skating. You're practicing. You're hanging out with the boys. But you're not playing in the NHL. That would be so incredibly frustrating to be so close yet not and have okay. other guys pass him. I understand your sympathy for Dano. I get that. But does he go down? No, because He's you stuck. can't send him down. He is stuck. He is in that stuck so position. So now it becomes, do you send down Patan? Do you send down Lemieux? Or do you send down Veselainen? I don't think it will be Patan purely because of his contract. Agreed. If he I think Patan will be waivers, gone. I think he's gone. Definitely. I think there's tons of bottom feeder teams that could use a third center or play him somewhere in the bottom three or even top six. Exactly. A lot of teams. Considering Joel Armia was uh, hovering on the top line of Montreal for a little bit, Patan would be a guy welcome in the dressing room for a lot of teams. So now it becomes Lemieux or Veselainen. Now who gets sent down? Basically, yeah. And so Veselainen's had a three-game audition, but we've talked about all those pros before. Lemieux hasn't played at all yet. Where would you see him fitting? I don't know where his game would be suited best. Maybe you put him with, uh, because that pro and Roslevic line, maybe you put him exactly in that spot. Lemieux, Roslevic, pro, that might not be a bad line. Uh, there, and there again, there's different combinations that you can work around. It's But it's kind of crazy how we've talked in years past how the fourth line is always kind of like that goon line that never touches the ice. Now we finally have a fourth scoring line that doesn't get as much ice time. So that's exactly what we've talked about for years. We finally have our wish. Now it's just trying to figure out which scoring players we want on it. So what I think, here's my proposition. Okay. I think because Veselainen hasn't showed great yet, I think you send him down to the Moose. You keep Lemieux and Dano in the press box, and I think Patan's going to go on to that fourth line with Roslevic and Perot. You add a little bit more skill with Patan compared to a Lemieux or a Dano, and because Lowry can be your gritty line, you don't need Lemieux in there necessarily. We saw Lowry already with a fight and, and whatnot. Um, so I think we see Patan drawing in for Veselainen. Veselainen goes down. That's what I would do if I was Shevelday off. Yeah, no, I like that idea as well, uh, bringing in Patan, moving Veselainen down to the Moose. I think, though, that you're probably going to see Lemieux down to the moose just because of the way the Jets like Veselainen, and I really like the hope for Veselainen. I don't want to give up on him yet. This is definitely not what I'm saying here. Uh, so I think it's probably Lemieux who goes down. I would be okay if either one of those guys goes down. I'd like to see Patan slot in. I'd like, for, just for Dano's sake, because I feel for him in my little plea there a few moments ago, I'd like to see him get a couple games in. But really, the big thing right now is that the Jets have the depth when injuries come to bring guys into the lineup. And one quick question I wanted to highlight before we wrapped up, there was a few, a little bit of talk I saw, people talking about trading Patan and just keeping the lineup kind of the way it is right now. So, but I was still wondering, when is the best time to trade Nick Patan? Do you even want to trade Nick Patan? Yes, he's going to get claimed off of waivers, but what would you actually get for him if you were to trade him away? The problem is right now, I don't think much. He's a guy who had a good season last year in the AHL, but hasn't proved himself yet in the NHL. He doesn't have a lot of size. He has some history. He's a prospect. Players and teams trade these types of prospects fairly regularly. We see, I see all sorts of names float across the trade wire that I don't really know the name. And I think a lot of people outside of Winnipeg probably don't know who Nick Patan is. So what would we get back? I'm assuming if I'm the Winnipeg Jets, 
You're probably going to get a pick. I would say probably no higher than the third round. I would say that'd be reaching. Probably. Fourth round, maybe. I think that's not much of a return. You could maybe get a younger prospect whose development is a little bit behind in the sense that he's still a few more years away. If Patan is ready to make the NHL this year, maybe acquiring a prospect who's two years away from the NHL, I think that's what the Jets would want. Because there's a player, a known commodity, two years away when they maybe need some reinforcements, opposed to a Patan who's kind of fighting that logjam right now. That's probably all you'd get. So I don't think it's really worth it. No, in, I don't think so either. Mind. That's I think I. And then everybody always throws in the let's just throw Patan in a bigger deal. Those are hard to do unless you've got a bigger deal already done and you need something to sweeten it with. It's not like you're going to build the bigger deal around Patan. I just don't think that happens. No, I agree. And those t- deals are tough to tough to do ever. Uh, Shovel Day off maybe pulled off a few of those in history, but they, they don't come around every day. So I don't think Batan's going to leave. And I agree with you. Um, as for that last spot, I think I would maybe send Veselainen down, but I think if you send Lemieux down, you can kind of buy yourself some time. Veselainen has that nine game mark. So he can play for another week. We got that long homestand coming up. Veselainen can make it through most of that homestand, and then the Jets can make the decision. If they don't think he's ready at that point, they can swap essentially him for Lemieux. Lemieux can come up, Veselainen can go down, and you can kind of work at it like that. And I think that might almost be what the Jets will do because sending Lemieux down is the easy fix now, and then it delays the decision for a week. Exactly, and then of course we can wait and see how he looks over the next few games, and then Patan can even sit in the press box for a while. We don't know where his legs are, we don't know where his head is at either, if he's going to need more Patan time. Because it might be Patan and Dano in the press box for a while. Yeah, and maybe that's what Patan needs too. Lemieux we goes don't know. down, Patan, Dano sit in the box, and then it's Veselainen still in the lineup for another week. That's probably the most likely scenario. Well, that does it for today's episode. I'd like to give a shout-out to a new podcast being recorded actually here at the same studio as us, the High and Wide podcast. Uh, feel free to give them a listen. You can find them on Twitter and a few other places. Not sure if the first episode is out, but it should be coming out soon. Uh, give them a follow. Of course, follow us on Twitter if you have any questions, anything you want us to talk about. Hit us up. We are at Jets N Podcast. Find all of the Jets Nation podcasts at JetsNation.ca.